This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks for taking the time to join us on today. A special welcome, as always, to those of you joining us for the first time. We're going to overlap. In today's episode, we've been doing a series that we've taken a couple of breaks from, where we've been talking about the sinister nature of today's UX culture, things that are going on that are counterproductive for those in the UX world who are operating in positions, seeking positions, getting educated, what have you. And then sometime you'll, you'll when you look at the different episodes that I have, in archives, you'll frequently see what I call the UX potpourri, which is just a mishmash of all kinds of different topics. We're going to blend those today. I think we did when we had a potpourri two weeks ago, but we're doing it again uh, to the point that I'm referring to today's episode as sinister potpourri. We're going to combine the two, and I'm going to talk about three subjects today, but of these three subjects... There's a lot of sinister things that are mentioned in conjunction with these, so hence the blend. That's where that title comes from today. So let's go ahead and dive in. But before we do that, uh, consider this an addendum. It's funny, and some of you who are connected to me on social media already saw me talking about this, but after all of these years, I finally received a top UX voice award from LinkedIn. Now, someone will say, hey, Darren, happy for you. And some people reached out and they said exactly that. But some people actually took the time. I'm not faulting the people who didn't. I'm just calling something out here that I said it was bittersweet. Why is it bittersweet? Because, and this is another sinister element too. So consider three plus this bonus item today. I call it bittersweet because I didn't get considered for being a top UX voice until I chimed in and answered questions that were in some type of special Q&A area with, in LinkedIn with regard to UX. So you go in and you answer these questions and based on people's responding and ascribing value to what you said, that's how you get the top UX voice award. The things that I posted, I've been saying those things for years and years and years and years. So to only get recognition for contributing to their little Q&A segment and not being recognized for what was already done, which is why I love the fact that I got a similar award from, from user interviews. And I appreciate them because they did it based on merit. It was done based on ethics. I'll go figure. So it, it's bittersweet. We're happy that it happened, but on the flip side, it's it's it, it definitely bittersweet. It, it's not something I'm going to really sort of revel in or be excited about because it, it, other people said that should have happened a long time ago. Here's some of the other things that are sinister associated with that. That's sinister in and of itself. Here's something else that happened, and this is a problem, and we're going to run full circle because I'm going to come back and talk about this at the end of the episode. Some people... I know people who got the award via different mechanism, 
No fault of the person who got the award. This is, I'm pointing at LinkedIn again. Because some people, one person said that, hey, when I got it, I got interviewed. Somebody who's a very strong and valuable and viable voice in the U.S. community. They actually reached out to him, talked to him, and decided to give him. Why did they do that with other people? It's the inconsistent nature of this thing is really tainted. Uh, And also, (laughs) this is really sad. Some of the people who answer the questions are giving out misinformation. They are probably going to get top UX voice awards, even though they've done things to damage the community. So it's it's a really it's it's a tainted award. It's 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 something that people are going to see. They're going to ascribe value to the people who get the award, and and it really shouldn't be done. But that's only part of it. There are some people. I but I was talking about the injustice associated with the award long before I got it. And I'm not going to stop talking about it. If they want to take it away, it's not going to change anything I'm doing. So I don't really care about that. Here's the other big problem. This is the part that we're going to run full circle on. Is that some people got the award, but didn't complain about it until other people started getting it. And and there's certain people, targeted people, mind you. And, And that's bad because... It's really sad. Some people, they they don't complain about anything until other people get acknowledged. There were people that complained about me getting acknowledged through user interviews, but they were only having the sour grapes moment because they didn't get recognized. And and some of the people who were complaining don't even do anything. So if they're supposed to recognize you for breathing, uh, that's a different type of an award altogether if you get my drift. This, This... Envy thing that is really that uh, it's operating at epidemic levels also in UX, and it's it's something that is only I shouldn't say only it's something that that is it's active with the last people you think it should be active with. It's happening with really high profile people who get angry because they didn't get recognized for something. And they take aim at people who get recognized because they didn't. And then they then they start talking about how it, it's a bad thing and it shouldn't happen, yada, yada, yada. Oh, it was great when they got it. But then when somebody else who actually deserved it got it, then they complain. And if you follow the, the breadcrumbs, it's not just, Darren, are you sure about that? You know how I operate. If you don't know, don't say. If you follow the breadcrumbs, you will find the same exact people exercising and demonstrating the same type of complaints toward the same individuals, and it's completely unjustified. It, it is amazing to see things and the way that they happen. They complain about topics that people talk about, but they only complain because other people are recognized for those topics. They complain about things that people do and try to point out that that they did X, Y, and Z wrong when the truth of the matter is they didn't really digest anything, but they're just taking pot shots. This type of animosity that exists in UX, and yeah, I'm going to call it out because it needs to stop. There's a lot of people who won't call it out because, number one, they're cowards, frankly, just flat out, just cowards. And I'll tell you that if I see you in person. I'm not just, I'm not hiding behind a microphone. I'm not hiding behind a keyboard. 
I'm calling something out because we're adults and we need to straighten this foolishness out. It, it is really, it is so, it's tiring, it's sickening, it, it's really terrible, and nobody's benefiting. Even the people who are the perps seem to benefit, but they're really not. Because I talk to people and other people see what's happening and they pull back from some of these same people. So they're not, it seems like they're benefiting themselves, but they're really not. So this is something folks just need to drop. It's like people are acting like six-year-olds and it's really sad. So as I stated, Sinister Potpourri today, and that is the bonus item. So I got an award. I'm not really excited about the award because it's tainted. And, and you know, I, and I really don't care about awards. I'm not going to change. I'm always in the same gear. So you, you see it for yourself. I'm not changing because of what somebody recognized or what they didn't. I don't care what somebody else got, what they didn't get. I couldn't care less. I don't like attention. I even said I was, when I, when I talked about being shy, there are people who wanted to downright protest, but I've been observing myself for a long time. Have a really high level of self-awareness. I'm trying to let you know <laughs> because it it's it makes everything, it sort of brings some color to the things that I'm doing because these types of things aren't things that would normally do. I am this passionate about what's going on behind it, and that's what puts me in a position where I'm willing to speak. I'm willing to say something. I'd rather have no attention. I'd rather have, and, and I don't get a lot of recognition because a lot of people don't like hearing what it is that I'm talking about. So don't, don't really care today. So if somebody, if somebody doesn't believe the report that we're giving and sharing, that's not going to change anything. Then they have an issue embracing truth. You know, so I, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not backing off <laughs> of that either, but I really wish all this stuff would stop because mostly because I would say if these things I'm talking about, the animosity, the envy, the little passive aggressive, the microaggressions, the 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 character assassinations that take place, especially when folks didn't really do anything at all. Um, if these people would all come together, it would make us a stronger community. Uh, there was one person. I'm part of the organization. For those of you who didn't know, I'm part of the organization that's behind establishing licensing for the UX discipline. People are already on board. People are already taking the tests. People are already going after their licenses. It doesn't matter if a handful of people don't accept it. It doesn't matter if a large pocket of people don't accept it. It's happening. It's happening. Proctored testing to help verify that someone is qualified to operate in the world of UX. We're talking about something that will change the landscape of user experience as we know it today. I'm proud to be a part of it. I'm excited about it. And then along comes somebody who really operates as a troll in the U.S. community and, and, and was talking about how, you know, they get asked whether or not they offer certifications. And the person said, well, no, I don't offer certifications. And anybody who does, you shouldn't trust them. That's straight out of left field. And that's the type of envy, the hateful, malicious type of stuff because a one-person entity cannot establish a certification anyway. Do you know how much work has to go into and has gone into establishing the licensing? Do you know how much work 
and how much ethics have to be aligned with in order to establish something like that. So, of course, somebody who's not equipped is going to say something like that. Somebody who looked around the corner and looked at something for five seconds and had this really uh, uh, minuscule, very amateurish type of a comment when they really don't know what they're commenting on or about. They haven't examined anything. And when people have it in their toolbox that they're going to give you amateurish feedback or opinions about something, that's not just showing up in the moment. It's going to show up somewhere else too. That's that's sinister. That's something that shouldn't be going on in UX today. But that thing is really sad. I told them when somebody mentioned to us that somebody was making statements about that, I said, who cares? Who cares what they think? Who cares what they say? Somebody fought against Henry Ford when he was creating a car. Somebody fought against the Wright brothers when they were putting together their airplanes. Somebody fought against the people who created the photocopy machine. Somebody fought against the people. Everybody, every time somebody does something that's innovative, and yes, this licensing thing, it is innovative. This is not a, a certification, folks. It's licensure. This is different. And, and every time somebody in the history of the world Anytime anybody sets out to do something innovative, there's always a group of people who want to fight against it. And and the people who were behind the innovation stuck to the plan, executed the plan, and and then here we are, a lot of us, years later, we enjoy a, a lot of the fruit of these people's labor, and we don't even know about the fight that took place to bring that thing to fruition. So we go forward. I, I'm going to have the person who was the the founder on the show one day to talk about that, to talk about what's going on with the licensure, to talk about all of the, the work and the different things that went on to help bring this thing to light. I met the person back in 2015, I've known the person for almost 10 years. The person has never demonstrated anything but a true heart and passion for the discipline of user experience, not trying to make a name for themselves like a lot of people do today in UX. They're all they're they're only in this for making a name for themselves. And, and several people have done that. There are people in UX that have made a name for themselves at the expense of the discipline. And they just went on and did things to continue to cater to making a name for themselves and driving profit. But in so doing, detrimentally impacted the discipline, but they didn't care because they're getting rich off of it. And and so if you're not aware and paying attention to this, I mean, I fed into it at one point in my career. I had to learn to pull back. So uh, I'm thankful for people that I know, and I know quite a few of them, people who really care about the discipline and do things to drive the discipline forward, not themselves but the discipline. And so kudos to those people out there. You know who you are today. And I give a quick shout out to the folks at Meander also who have started a relatively new, I don't know how new, I can't remember when it was founded, but a relatively new UX mentoring resource that is they actually care about. They're doing things ethically and they care about the well-being of the discipline. I'm happy to be a part of that. I haven't started doing any work yet, but I am a part of it. I have been approved. And these types of things are are critical for us. If you want to see the discipline vault forward, we've got to have the right pieces in place. If you put the wrong thing in your foundation, 
the building, the future of that proverbial building is in danger. So we need to remember that today. All right, but let's move on. That's 15 minutes of of some, <laughs> speaking of foundations, foundational information as we get going with this potpourri segment, this sinister potpourri segment. But let's dive in with our three topics today. Here is topic number one. Topic number one, the power of secondary research is something I want to talk about. Not a lot sinister going on with this, but we're, we're kicking off with it anyway. Now, what is secondary research? And, and this was something that you might find humorous that I never knew what the phrase meant up until roughly a year ago. I didn't know what the word meant. It was research to me. Uh, we all started off doing secondary research when we were kids. We all did secondary research when we were in elementary school. And when we would do research papers, everything in our paper was based on secondary research. I'm a doctoral candidate. A lot of the stuff that's in my dissertation is secondary research. And then I'm going to add some primary research. Research I did is going to be a part of that. But secondary research is a huge part of that. What is secondary research? It's research that already exists. Data, trustworthy, actionable data that someone has already compiled. It was primary for them in many instances, and they put it together. So it's secondary because we're partaking of what someone else did. Now, why is secondary research beneficial? Well, it's beneficial because someone else has already vetted things out. Someone else has already done the, the all the work. They've already done the groundwork for everything. They've already done all the proper recruiting of the participants. They've already done all the work associated with the hypotheses, be it null or alternative hypotheses. They've already done all of that. So by the time we find out about it, we're able to just jump in, look for research that is aligned with the topics or the things we're trying to address, take that research and add it to what we're doing. And we look for something that's trustworthy, something that's actionable, something that's valid. And then we vet it out to make sure that it meets those qualifications. And then we're able to put it to work. So secondary research is really powerful. It's a great thing to be able to do. And every UX professional needs to understand what second secondary research is. And I still chuckle the fact that I never called it that until, until a year ago. I just, it was research to me. It wasn't, it wasn't research I did. I just didn't use the term secondary. And only nitpicky, anal retentive people are going to pick on that. You don't need to, but just sharing it now because it is starting to become commonly mentioned as secondary research. So we might as well embrace it that way. But much of what we do, we need to know and understand that much of what we do as UX professionals is basically built on the proverbial backs of someone else anyway. A lot of what we tap into when we read a book, if there's any research that was that was presented in that book, even some of the content, actually all of the content, when I think about it, that's in that book. I sort of wrestled what I was going to say that, but that's all secondary. When you read a book, that's secondary content. We're reading what someone else presented. And, and so everything we've done in UX is based on that secondary approach. So we basically benefit from others' work. We benefit from what they've done. We've benefited from their perspectives. Sometimes we can take the information they presented and go out and subject it to some additional type of research 
And then we go and we we launch our own or we we bring forth our own perspectives, what I'm doing in my dissertation. That's what we do with a lot of the work that we do and have done and will do. But these things are fantastic. The, we need to make sure that we we embrace it because it's going to it's going to save us time. It's going to save us money. I mean, if if three or four researchers have already done a lot of research on a particular topic that feeds directly into a project that we're working on, I mean, don't don't I'm not the only one who experienced a stakeholder who's concerned about the length of time the research is going to take. If you have a lot of secondary research on a topic, why not just go and take that and at least vault yourself forward? You can do your primary research later and build on that. But there are ways to get enough data that allow you to move now. And now that's going to endear you to your stakeholders because you're not in this position where you are delaying things. And folks love to blame UX for delays. We're not delaying. It, it, uh, and I won't, that, that'd be a rabbit hole if I go down that road. So I'm not going to touch on that today. Maybe another time. I'm sure we will another time. Here comes the sinister part. So we know that secondary research is good. You now, if you didn't know, now you know. If you weren't familiar with the with the terminology, now you're familiar with the terminology. But there are some, uh, some sinister things associated with secondary activities, secondary research, all types of secondary things. It's just bad. Uh, but what is it? There are a lot of times in the UX world, people have found something that already exists, something that is now secondary in nature to you as a partaker, to others as partakers, and they turn around and they rebrand it. Yes, sometimes we see something someone else did you put your spin on it, and now it does become yours. That's that's fine. That's what we do. And that's going to happen over 90% of the time. What does happen that shouldn't be happening is when people see something, did not add their own spin to it. A lot of times all they did was call it something different, which makes it a rebrand. Nothing has changed or maybe a format or something, which is going to be our second topic, which you'll hear about in a moment. But there are, there's respect we're supposed to give. We're supposed to, when we see what somebody did, give them props. Hey, this person talked about information architecture. I'm thinking of Richard Saul Worman. He mentioned information architecture. We can present fantastic, the guy's a genius, present things that he presented from a perspective of information architecture, we can reiterate those things and instead of get engaging in some type of psychological plagiarism, we can say that what your Saul Worman said, X, Y, and Z, and then present that and then have a discussion or present some other thoughts about it. Even build on it. That's fine. But don't take things that he said, call it something else, and then act like you're doing the community a favor. This is rampant today in UX circles. It is absolutely rampant. Instead of giving people props, instead of using the existing information the right way and moving forward, folks would rather rebrand things. And, and, and now a lot of people have gotten away with that and people endear themselves to these people that rebrand things. I have seen people go as far as takes, taking someone's post on social media and posting it exactly 
as the originating source did, never giving credit to the originating source, and then and then having everybody go back and say, wow, thanks for sharing that information. This is really insightful. And the person's sitting there like they're taking credit, and they are taking credit for what somebody else did, and they don't care because they're really just trying to make a name for themselves. They don't care about the discipline, and I've called people out for doing it, and they ignore me and then block. I, I don't want to deal with that. There are famous people who are notorious for for plagiarizing other people's original thoughts. And and it happens so much, and they know that there's so many gullible people. Some are willingly gullible. Some are just indirectly or unconsciously gullible. But gullibility is gullibility. And, and when it happens, then somebody's going to pay the price for that. So someone's going to pay the cost, and, and that's sort of sad. So let's embrace secondary research. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. Let's embrace it. And don't forget to give credit where credit is due. And we'll have a more ethical and a more healthy U.S. community. Topic number two, which you're going to hear a little bit of overlap, but topic number two. I did a post on design thinking. And design thinking, by the way, is another one of those rebranded things. It it already existed. And somebody took it. They sort of like put a thumb of car wax on it, gave it a different name, and then went out and shared it. And they shared it in a way that they could make it billable. The idiot was responsible for that. They took they took it, they called it design thinking, they rolled it out, and then folks got wind of it, and they thought, folks who didn't know, didn't have prior knowledge of what UX was, got wind of it, thought it was something great. They didn't see it as an advancement of UX, which it never was. If anything, it's a step back. It, it did add some structure that some people didn't have. Notice I said some people. But if you learned early, early in the earlier days of UX, before it was called UX, every process, and if you've ever seen my talk on design processes are overrated, everything has a process. Even if you don't have a process, you're going to have a process. So they just came up with what amounted to a process and people jumped on the bandwagon. And and it's not until recently that IDEO has come under fire for what they did with design thinking. They they just laid off a bunch of people. Uh, design thinking has actually destroyed some of the things that it got applied to. It is not a fix-all, contrary to popular belief. And neither is UX, for that matter. You, you need people that know what they're doing. And when people don't know what they're doing, get involved, it's going gonna, it, gonna to be bad. I mean, if you give a person that's not a doctor a scalpel and complain about the pain in your kidney, you're going to be in trouble. So it, it's tools are tools. Design thinking is a tool. And, and folks need to, need to face up to that. But at any rate, the post that I put out on social media said this. It said, funny thing about design thinking and some of this would be a little redundant for what I already just said. It says, see this process? And there was an, 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 an illustration that showed it was a random illustration where somebody was talking about how this is great, this is all fantastic, this is what we need to be doing, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and I said, we were already doing this the whole time. <laughs> we were already doing what they claimed. And we didn't call it design thinking, and I refused to think of it as design thinking because I was already doing it. So 
says someone took what already existed as UX, I said, gave it a new name, and pretended to do something innovative. That was completely misleading. And I said, time to end the trail of Kool-Aid, end of post. And it's amazing how, and this is going to be a little bit of overlap into the third point today. One person said, when you basically, when you say we were already doing this, who is we? And then they they proceeded to post another illustration, part of which was talking about the evolution of design thinking, completely ignoring the fact that design thinking didn't become a quote-unquote thing until Idio published it as such. So no matter what was quote-unquote forming, it didn't exist. That That's an act of somebody trying to be desperate and trying to illustrate their relevance. And what's funny and sad at the same time about what that person did and said is that they're saying that design thinking began forming in the 60s and 70s, 1960s and 1970s, but we've traced what we know as UX back to the early 1900s. I'm literally the first decade. So, and we're not trying to say that UX existed. This person is trying to say that design thinking basically existed in the 60s and the 70s. That that's that's an act of desperation. That is sheer desperation that actually proved what I was saying. <laughs> but they have no idea because some people they are so they are such slaves to their bias. They are going to to amateurishly prove their point. That means that they really didn't do it. They think they did, but they didn't amateurishly prove their point and then drop the microphone like they said something substantive. No, and all the people who are true critical thinkers, nobody's going to fall for that. Anybody who's been trained in academic thinking is not going to fall for that. It's really a bad attempt at, at you know, that's like a person going outside holding their breath and saying that we don't need air and then standing there and after five seconds acting like they proved something. It's it's really sad to see these types of things, but that's where that sinister nature comes in. In addition to the fact that design thinking has was never anything more than a ruse, you have people who believe that it was great and they ignore any evidence to the contrary. Note that I didn't say they disproved the evidence. They ignore it. That is a sinister element at work in UX today. Another person came along and they said, I read you what I posted. The person came along, they said, let me get this straight. And then proceeded to put words in my mouth and then claim that their imaginary response or their imagination laden take on what I said was what I actually said and then responded to their imaginary take. That's something else that's grossly at work today in the world at UX from a sinister perspective, that you've got people who are, they are slaves to misattribution, what's known as a psychological element known as misattribution, where they take their imagination and they they address it as if it's fact. Imagination is imagination. It didn't happen. But these people will leave it to them to tell the story. What they imagined is what happened. And and to sit there and say, let me get this straight and then not get it straight. It couldn't be more crooked. 
you can't communicate with people like that. Some people will say, we're supposed to have discussions on LinkedIn. Uh, I don't know where you read that, number one. Number two, you can't have a discussion with somebody that won't listen. You can't have a discussion with anybody who's not going to be ethical. You can't have a discussion with somebody who is determined that the earth is flat no matter what you show them. So that's not a discussion. And if you want to have, if you want to sleep, first and foremost, if you if you don't want to sit and be tortured by the imaginary and delusionary rantings of other people, you have to distance yourself from that. So so this is not good. So people respond to the to the design thinking post. Some people just got flat out hostile about it. And it no matter how loud somebody gets, it doesn't change the fact that design thinking was a ruse from the beginning. And IDEO has pretty much they, they haven't acknowledged it by using the word ruse. They did acknowledge that they created it to make it something billable that they could market to their clients. So they have they have admitted it again. They just didn't use the word ruse, but that's another word for what they did. It was a front. It was manufactured. It wasn't manufactured because we need to do something and make UX more structured. It was because they just wanted to do something that they could fabricate a product that they could bill somebody for. So And nobody can change that. They admitted it. So this is a fact. So if somebody doesn't have facts, you can't disprove anything. And that is a fact. So it can't, it's a fact, so it can't be refuted. It's, you know, clouds are white. Uh, tires are usually black. Some tires have white wall. We need oxygen to breathe. Uh, if you want to write, you need a writing utensil or something to type up. You know, there are just a whole bunch of things that are absolutes. And facts are absolute in their nature. And so you just can't, you can't fight against them. So that's it. And let's move on to our final point for this episode. So topic number three, and this one will be relatively quick. This is not going to be something I haven't said before. I told you we were coming full circle. The insane volume of people on social media who defy and contradict social expertness. It's a joke. It is an absolute joke. I've already given some examples of some things of this when covering the other, the the bonus topic up front and the other two topics. But it's just amazing. Uh, and, and there's somebody who who shares a lot of good content on social media had gathered the names of a bunch of social or UX social media groups that people looking to connect with other UXers could could engage with. And it was funny because I, I, I couldn't bypass without reminding people of something. And I let them know, um, good list. Thanks for compiling it. But I want to remind everybody to please keep in mind that toxicity is at a, um, it's, it's, we're being exposed to it at epidemic levels. And don't forget that. And I made mention of one particular group that was on that list. I was really an active part of that group for all of 30 minutes because they were so toxic and, and they were toxic to the extent that there's no way I'm interacting with anybody else from this group. 
from this group. This is absolutely insane. And initially, I'm like, hey, this should be a great group. I never left a group so fast in my life. The, the it's it's sad because U.S. communities and engagement. There's a world of benefits available if you can find a good one. Uh, but you got people who they just they're they're just not ready, and they're oftentimes the loudest people in these in these arenas. That so makes things a bit a bit tough. So we can't experience these benefits because, frankly, folks, we are overrun with what I call UX scumbags. Folks are just scummy. And, and because they're scummy, then that means that the the volume, how the degree of to which these people are scummy is going to have that much and more of a detrimental impact on what you're trying to establish as a social community or resource with regard to the topic at hand. So you got people who want to discredit others. You got people who want to be preeminent. You got people who don't like giving credit to other people. You got people who don't like seeing other people recognized and or appreciated. You got people who are slave to the isms uh, of example, racism, sexism, cronyism, ageism. There's other isms out there. But when you have people who are like this, that is going to minimize the benefits that people can get. It's going to become a, a, a point of conflict a point of abrasion. And because of these things, people can't get what they could get out of certain situations. So these things are pretty sad today. So I thought this one would be, this part would be pretty quick and it was. So that's it folks for today. This is all that I have with regard to the sinister potpourri episode. And we will get back to our topic soon. I am going to reach out to the person who's the head of AMBOT, the American Board of Research and Design, hopefully have them on the show soon to share some information about the licensing effort that is underway, but we are looking to change the discipline. So, folks, that is all the time we have for today. So thanks for joining me in this Sinister Popery episode. Tell your friends, tell people who want to learn about some, some unfiltered, UX related content. We don't, we're not going to talk about the work a lot because it's not the work that's causing people to walk away. It's not the work that's creating problems. It's all these other things that a lot of people don't want to talk about. So that's what we do on today. So until next time, this is Darren Hood, the host of the world of UX signing off. Happy UXing everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.